Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Peter, Peter's first epistle, as we continue in our study of this wonderful letter written to the persecuted church in Asia Minor. It's fascinating as the passage we come to today is in follow-up to what's come before, and in particular context has to do with the fervent love, pure love, that we have for one another, a love that comes from a pure heart that is fervent. I'd like to begin by setting the context, reading 1 Peter chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, where this morning we're going to take some time looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But to set it in context, there's many different ways we could outline this chapter. But it's important to see that verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 have to be connected to the verses in chapter 1. The chapter division here, as in many places in our Bibles, is very unfortunate because we couldn't at all in any way stop at the end of chapter 1, for we need the first few verses of chapter 2 to understand what has been just laid out for us. And we know that by the very first word of chapter 2. Wherefore? Wherefore? Well, in order for us to understand what the wherefore is there for, we have to look back into chapter 1. So let us begin reading. Follow with me at the very beginning so that we can set the stage and set the context for these incredible verses beginning chapter 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit and to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, 
but unto us. They'd administer the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Our great God, we come to you this morning and thank you for you. Giving of yourself, sending your son that we might be redeemed. We give thanks this morning for your glorious gospel, the gospel that even the angels desire to look into. This morning we give thanks for the salvation that is in you and you alone. Today we give thanks that we can be born again. And we give thanks that we have this on promise and guarantee, not of something that is faulty or wishy-washy or temporal, but upon the authority, the enduring authority of your word. Lord Jesus, dear Holy Spirit, teach us today. Help us to understand 
these words. Help us not only to understand them, but help us to apply them in our own lives and in our own hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray that it might make a difference in your body, your church, assembled here this morning, that indeed we might have a fervent love from a pure heart for one another. And Lord Jesus, be with me now as I share from your word. Fill me with your spirit. Guide my lips and my tongue. Guide the words as I share. May all that I say be pleasing to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 1, and let us ask the question, what is the wherefore, therefore? What is that word, therefore, and what is it referring to? The last time we were here in 1 Peter, we looked at the last few verses here of chapter 1, and we just a little bit went into chapter 2 through verse 3, but we didn't spend much time in chapter 2. So really, this is kind of in follow-up. It all goes together, and it needs to stay together. And we know that because of the wherefore. So what's it there for? And looking back, we can see that it has to do particularly with verse 23. We are born again. We are a new creature. When we are saved, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and trust in Him, we are born again. We are born in Christ Jesus. We are a new creature. And as a new creature, and we learned, it's Peter, you remember here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had to go in and go into all the detail and the significance of all of that in relation to the, the authoritative and enduring eternal Word of God. But it ought to make a difference. Last time we looked at it and we gloried and we rejoiced in the reality and privilege of knowing that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive his sacrifice, which is referred to earlier in the passage, that resulted in his precious blood being shed so that we could be redeemed. It results in the salvation that causes us to rejoice. And we rejoiced in that last time. But it's more than just something that happens in a theoretical sense. And it's more than something that just happens in a spiritual sense. It does all of those things. And all of those things I do not mean to belittle in any way. But to look at how it actually makes a difference in our lives. That's why it says wherefore. Considering the fact that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been born again, things change in our lives. Things change in our lives. And spelled out here is the putting away of things, the laying aside of some things. The word there for laying aside is a very strong word. It's used also in how we might take off clothing. But it's not just in the idea that you come home from a nice evening out and you change out of your nice formal gowns. No, no, no. This word is referring to the one who has been working all day, perhaps in the sewers, in the putrid parts of the earth, and where you get home, and you don't even go in the house. 
your clothes are so filthy that you tear them off, you cast them off. I don't know about you, but I don't know if any of you have ever done a job that was so disgusting and dirty that you didn't even bother to clean your clothes. They just got thrown away or torched. I wonder, have any of you been like that? Yeah, there's a few times in life where you've done a job that is just so dirty and filthy and disgusting that you get and you tear those clothes off and you just throw them away. That's the intensity of what is being described here as lay aside. It's not the casual taking off and just draping over your chair or hanging on a hanger and putting in your closet. No, no. This is the ripping it off and getting rid of it out of here once and for all to be done with. When we are born again, these things described here in verse 1 need to be ripped off and thrown away. That's what's being described here. When we understand that we have been born again, and when we understand that this is based upon the eternal word of God and the glorious gospel, the good news, we are ready to do so. It's also fascinating that it's all tied in with, if you look up earlier in verse 22 of chapter 1. Remember, 22 has just finished celebrating and rejoicing in the incredible redeeming work of Jesus on the cross. And it says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So here you see this idea of purifying of the soul that is in obedience and obeying of the truth that is resulting in a real, genuine, friendly love of the brethren, other believers. But then identifying and knowing that, Peter here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit follows up, as we talked about before, that not only is there this natural love that's a friendly, brotherly love, but that there is the agape love, the self-sacrificing love, the, the deepest, richest, greatest love that we ought to then have one for another. And this ought to come from a pure heart, and this love ought to be fervent and intense. Now, when you recognize this, he, he goes here from the idea of being holy, then he rejoices in the reality of being redeemed, and then he goes into dealing with the love of the brethren, the unity and care for one another that is in the church of brethren. Then he, he gets, not distracted, but intentionally goes on and declares the incredible authority of the word of God. And then he comes in chapter 2, verse 1, and he addresses some of the very things that threaten, that threaten, that love one another with the pure heart fervently. Tell me, can you love one another with a pure heart fervently? If there is malice, if there is guile, if there are hypocrisies, if there are envies, and if there are evil speakings. Here he has laid a foundation and a call for the believers who are friendly with one another, the phileo love, the, the Philadelphia city of brotherly love kind of thing, to be a deeper and greater love, agape love, fervent love, 
love that is only channeled through us by God. And he's come through this now, and he says, these are things threatening it. Now think about it. Within our own families, within our own church, we don't like these words. When was the last time you looked at something that you said and said that was evil speakings? When was the last time you thought something or said something and when you were pricked in your conscience, you knew it was wrong and you prayed to God and said, I confess my malice. See, we sometimes come up with these nice little words and say, well, we shouldn't have done that, but we're reluctant to use the words that ought to be used for them. Malice, guile, envies. Ooh, now that's a tricky one, isn't it? But do you see how each one of these can play a part in threatening this up here? Love one another with a pure heart fervently? In order for your pure heart fervently to love one another like this, you're going to have to rip these things out of your life the way that you would rip garments off of your body that had been contaminated in disgusting filth. Pull it off. What is malice? What is malice? This word is fascinating in the Greek because it's actually a, a, a word that has a very broad meaning. In some senses, it has the idea of anything that is immoral, anything that is wicked, anything that is not pleasing to God. But as it's here translated, it has also a very specific area of sense, of meaning, in that of relationships, but not the outward relationships, but what gets in the way of relationships, the opposite of love. Hatred, it includes, but it doesn't just include hatred. It includes even the, uh, the more mild forms of hatred. I, we, we, we so often, as Christians and as a society, like to gloss over how we describe things. One of the key aspects of how this word is a sense of it is in selfishness. Just simple, plain old selfishness. Did you ever think of those times when you didn't do unto others as you would have others do unto you as malice? It's tied in. See, malice is not just about the intense passions of hatred. It deals with just the very root seedling of selfishness. Do you see how selfishness is the very start that would lead to intense malice and hatred? Peter is writing here, lay it aside rip it off, throw it, get it away from you. Malice will threaten, threaten and destroy the loving one another with a pure heart, fervently. 
But what else does Peter say we need to get rid of? Lay aside. All guile. All guile. Now again, when was the last time that we considered ourselves and found ourselves guilty of guile? Or as parents and correcting and teaching our children, pointed out and observed that there was guile. Well, what is guile? Guile has to do with the truth. God has to, guile has to do with the genuineness of something. It's not just the words, it's the actions. It's actually, I think we all know what hypocrites are, but it's somewhat tied in together with that. But it's, it's the idea of presenting yourself or speaking in such a way that's not entirely true, but with a very particular nefarious or wicked strategy or goal. It, we could use a word manipulate here in guile. You've probably heard that word. We may be more ready to confess or admit manipulating or to even accuse someone of manipulation. It's really a form of guile. But it's also, it's also dealing with things more specific in the way of sideways comments. You know, we may have a conversation with someone and there may be something that we would like to say, but eh, we don't want to say it quite like that. And we probably do need to be candid and blunt or not say anything at all. But instead of actually being what we ought to be in some cases, candid and blunt, we give it in a sideways way. We, we, we say it in a way that's not direct, and it's there to just kind of manipulate the situation. Do you see how manipulation, how guile, how deceit, how lies could threaten us as a church? Do you see it? How it could interfere and threaten and undermine this love one another with a pure heart fervently? That's why Peter says, lay all guile. And it's fascinating that the word all is there because we like to rationalize things, especially when it comes to the truth. We have ways of, of, of piecing it together and, and bluntly putting, manipulating it. And he says, put it all. Get rid of it all, just as the same with Melis. All of it. It's not of any value to us as a church. Put it all, lay it all aside. And then he goes on to hypocrisies. Oh, this one's fascinating. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite, do we? What is a hypocrite? Well, we could go into a lot of the history surrounding this Greek word, and it's really fascinating. It has to do with um, everything from a court scenario scene of a person who's speaking on behalf of something else, but yet nobody knows who he really is, all the way to, on the stage, the actor playing behind a mask, which is kind of a good illustration of what it is. It's one who is answering, one who is speaking, but they're speaking what's not real. It's not truly believed in the heart. It's not genuine. It's insincere. It's tied to the idea of guile. It's a fakeness. And this is fascinating because if we look previously up here, 
We see that when we have verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. You ever seen love or acts of love or words of love and it hurt because you knew it wasn't real and it was just a show? What's going to threaten this love, one another, with the pure heart fervently? Hypocrisy. Saying things and acting things, but really isn't genuine or truly coming from the heart. That's going to cause a lot of trouble in our body. This, you, we are the body of Christ and it doesn't allow for hypocrisies. Peter says, lay it aside. Get rid of it the way that you would get rid of that putrefied, disgusting garment. Get rid of it. And envies. Envies. Envies is a fascinating little word because in some senses... It is, it is something that the very smallest of children begin to learn. And it's something that parents have to model the right response in and also need to teach the littlest of children to be careful, to beware of it. Oh, that toy. It starts off with the toys, doesn't it? Well, wait a minute. No, it starts off with food, right? Starts off with food. And then it's the toys. And you know how it grows? It grows into status, power, authority. All the different areas of life. We at one time or another have to be sure that we have not envy. Think among ourselves. We have different peoples of different economic, situ different economic situations. Envy can come into play in that. It's actually kind of ironic at how sometimes envy comes into play amongst people who are all wealthy. Isn't that weird? And in some senses, comparing us as Americans to the majority of the world, we all are wealthy. And envy is a really serious problem all around in our society. That of wanting what others have, but it's more than just wanting what others have. It's a heart issue that is a discontentment for what I have or where I'm at and me wanting to be greater, wanting to be better. And it's not just about money or houses or cars or toys or food. It's about reputation. It's about fashion. It's about who's in charge. Envies cause lots of trouble. It really causes trouble. And so Paul here says, or not Paul, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, lay it aside. Get rid of it. This, if you want to love one another from a pure heart 
fervently, envying has no place. Envying will meddle and will cause a lot of trouble. And then finally, it says, and all evil speakings. Now, this is fascinating because here it is translated very literally, evil speakings. But it's oftentimes in English another word used, and that is slander or to talk down. Ooh, isn't that a major way of threatening the love one another from a pure heart fervently? Is when we say things that put other people down. Whether true or not, to put them down, to slander them, that's what's evil speakings. Now, coming back to all of these questions here and looking at this, do we identify these in our lives? Have we seen these in our lives and do we recognize them for what they are? Think about it. Have you ever talked someone down, put someone down, despised someone or slandered someone? Are you willing to confess it as evil speakings? You say, oh, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not guilty of evil speakings. Or are you? Evil speakings to put down, to slander another. It, it, it has to be rejected. It has to be, we, we take it and we treat it and we have to consider it in our lives the way that we would treat, I don't want to be disgusting, but like if you cleaned out the, 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 your septic tank area and, and your clothes got all dirty like that. I mean, that's how repulsive these things ought to be to us. And not in pride of, I'm not guilty of it, but in humility and saying, yeah, that way that I handled this or that thing that I'm doing in this way or those things that I'm saying to this brother or sister or about this brother or sister is putrid and needs to be laid aside and done with. That's the imperative command given here, considering the fact that we are new creatures, considering the fact that we have been born again, considering the fact that we once were in bondage and slave to sin, but Jesus came to earth and died for our sins, shedding his precious blood so that we could be bought back. We could be bought back. We could be his. Why would we want to wear such disgusting garments? In God's providence, the song that was saying just before we started into this message of the exchange, we've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Why would we ever think of putting on such putrid and disgusting things in our lives? Let's look over at verse 13 of chapter 1, which introduces all of this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see why this came before? Because when it comes to chapter 2, verse 1, our loins need to be gird up in our mind. That means that we get our mind ready to work 
Our mind is prepared to think. Our mind is prepared to deal with what's about to be taught. Let's put these things aside. Get rid of them because they will threaten. They will threaten the loving one another from a pure heart fervently. And how important this is, seeing verse 22 of chapter 1, that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. Lay these things aside. Lay these things aside. But you know what? This is kind of obvious, but we'll, we'll, we'll take the analogy and continue it. How many of you, when you've had to take those clothes off and just get them in the laundry or just throw them in the trash... Put, didn't put anything else on? It's a stupid question. Of course you then put something on. You didn't just get rid of the putrid clothing. You put other clothing on. Well, the same is true in a spiritual sense. We don't just put this stuff off and, and deal with this and go, oh, we're going to focus, focus, focus on getting rid of this, rid of this, rid of this, rid of this, and, and pick on everybody around us who's not getting rid of it. You know, hey, you've got filthy clothes on. You need to get rid of that. And that's our constant focus. Doesn't mean that we don't have time of restoring one another and pointing out some things. But how is it done and for what purpose? Is it done for the purpose of hypocrisies or is it done for the purposes of envies? What, what, what is the purpose of it? But what is put on? You know where our real focus needs to be? And when we've gotten all of these false things taken care of, there's something that's a priority. Verse 2. Continuing the analogy of being born again, these things need to be gone, laid off. But what ought we to do as the newborn babes? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So considering that we are born again, considering that we have our souls purified, considering that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, considering that we have been called to holiness, considering the fact that we have a salvation now and yet promised in the future, considering the fact that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us, considering all of that, and as the newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word. The milk of the word. God's word, in God's word, is compared to many different things. And one of the most significant is food. 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 Here we see it compared to milk. Now, it's fascinating because in other places, the word of God is compared to milk. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians, um, over in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, um, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth saying that he was having trouble communicating with them because they were not mature enough to handle meat. 
and he was frustrated with them that he was having to continue dealing with them and working with them as if he was working with babies and could only feed them milk. And he was pleading with them to grow up and to, to, to take life seriously and grow up. In Hebrews, the same idea is also carried over. For it says there that strong meat belongeth to them that are of age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between both good and evil. Here again, we have this idea that we don't stay just in milk. That's what babes are. But we need to grow to be able to digest and handle meat. Also, in the Bible, the Bible is said to be, or God's Word is said to be like bread. And in that context, like necessity, food of necessity. In fact, Jesus explicitly said in dealing with the devil, actually, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's how vital and important God's word is. And in a sense, even in our time here in our church with family Bible time, we have different levels of learning, milk and bread and meat, and we kind of break it in areas of ability. But First Peter is not so much focused necessarily on the complexity of what is brought, but rather upon the passion or desire for God's Word, ranging from everything from very basic milk to very strong meat. It's a, it's a focus upon that passion and desire. That's the key word here, is the desire for the sincere milk of the word. And that sincere is fascinating because it's the same word. Watch this. Look at your Bibles, 2 Peter 2.2, 2, sincere milk. That word sincere in the Greek is the exact same word translated in verse 1 as guile, with one little exception. It's the exact same Greek word, except that this one says agile. You know how we talk about amused means no, no thinking, musing means thinking, and amused means no thinking, and we put that ah in front of a word, and it means no, whatever word follows. That comes from Greek when we do that, by the way. When, whenever we put that um, word ah in front of a word that means it negates it, it's coming from the Greek, and that's what's going on here. This is, this is word, this is milk, the milk of the word, that is without guile. It also carries the idea of being sincere, which is why it's translated this way. It carries the idea of being real, of not being polluted, not being poisoned, and not being watered down. I'm amazed when I drink milk that comes straight from the cow and hasn't been meddled with at how different it is compared to the, um, the skimmed off, homogenized milk you buy in the grocery store. I, I mean, it's literally a night and day difference of it. Well, I don't want to get into a, a milk debate, but you know, the one is sincere milk and the other one is is, 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 is not so good. <laughs> well, that's related and similar to our Bibles. You know, we have a whole library here, and we have good books in our library. I have a library in my home, and I have lots of good books. But you know, 
All the good books in the world can't compare with the sincerity of this one, the purity of this one, the value of this one. This one is where it's real. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't listen to preaching. This doesn't mean that you don't look to other teachers, whether in writing or in recordings or in live preaching or teaching, to learn more of God's Word. Those things are important. But in the end, it all still comes back to this. You know what? I don't live in your house. You know what? Some of you might have seen my little girl, little Joanne. She showed up last Sunday for the first time. She's here again um, this morning. You know what? You take mommy away from her for very long, and there is a disaster because she has a real and a genuine desire for mommy's milk. And it's not just a desire. It is, in some ways, her life. She needs it, and she desires it. And there's a big problem with that. Now, let's parallel that kind of contrasting what's going on right now. A pastor, a title I hold, that word literally means shepherd, which is connected to the idea really not so much of leading, but of feeding. It's about feeding. And so in a sense, what's going on now, I'm seeking to use God's word to feed you, which Peter actually talks about later in chapter 5. But you know what? Just like little Joanne needs her milk every two hours, I don't live in any of your houses. Well, except for some of you over here. And I'm not even there all the time. But do we have that same desire? You can't just come, feed me, pastor, feed me, pastor. You know, or like those little birdies, and the mommy comes and feeds them every so often. And it says, you know, that's, that doesn't work. There's a sense of where there's a growth and an encouragement. And even with parents, with children, of this this desire for the sincere milk of the word. It's, it's, a, it's an everyday, all-day kind of a thing. It, it's not just a, I need to read three chapters a day, and I read my three chapters a day. Check! Go on with living life. No. It's a perpetual, continual, ongoing passion and desire for man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what it is. So yes, we as born-again people have some things we need to lay aside, like malice, all guile, all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And you say, well, what's there for me to do? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. So often, if our conversations, if our time spent together as families and individuals, is filled with this regular passion and desire for God's Word, we won't have time for all the other silly things. You know what's sometimes difficult and an issue for Christians, and even sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle for, for people who have grown up hearing the Bible their, their whole lives, is that it becomes rote to them. It just becomes noise. It just is there. I, I know it. We know it. We know it. And, and there's no passion. What's being said here is not so much to say, oh, well, that's milk. I'm long past milk. I check, 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 and check. Got that. Understood that. Got that when I was a kid. 
This is talking about a lifelong desire for all of God's Word. All of it. Oh, how dreadful it is when, when we are earnestly looking for something new to the neglect of rejoicing in what is profoundly basic. Have you ever thought of that? These truths in First Peter, for many of you, are basic that you've known from a child. For some of you, they're brand new. But may they never get old. May you always desire them just like that newborn baby who's got to have mommy's milk. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it, that you may grow thereby. That is so very important. And it's not just, I, I don't think anybody here has this idea. Oh, I'm all grown up now. The person who thinks they've arrived, whether in life, career, or just anything, is setting themselves up for trouble. And it's really true spiritually. In Bible Hour, we've been learning about King Joash. He's a guy who knew it. He knew the word as a boy. I'm convinced he did. But it wasn't real. And when those influencers around him changed, he didn't have this desire of the sincere milk. And he was led astray. And he himself fell into great wickedness. Verse 3 is beautiful. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That if so be isn't some kind of a conditional, you do this and you'll find out. This is, a, this is not conditional. It's a declaration that since, if and since you have tasted of the Lord, you will find him to be gracious. It's just fact. You will find him to be gracious. Now here's an important piece of it. Can we go back to the newborn illustration? That little baby is drinking up the milk. And did you know babies have sometimes a hard time stomaching milk? Their digestive systems have a hard time processing things. And sometimes they actually spit it up. But yet they still desire it. Isn't that fascinating? Even though the milk causes their tummy to hurt, and then they throw it all up, they still desire it. Now, I'm going to stretch the analogy here a little bit. But have you ever been reading God's Word and been like, ooh, that makes me uncomfortable? And you spit it up? Be just like the little baby and keep on desiring it and take it again. You see, part of the reason why the Word of God is parallel to meat, bread, milk, 
honey is because it's more than just a superficial thing. It is something that needs to become a part of you. Little Joanne throws up all over everything. I'm reluctant. I got a brand new suit. And I'm reluctant to hold her because I'm afraid she's going to throw up all over it. I'm going to still hold her. But you get it. She throws up over all the time. And she doesn't, she doesn't go through a single feeding. Has she ever gone through a single feeding without throwing up between feedings? No. Every single feeding, she's thrown up. But boy, that just makes her desire it more. She needs it even more. She's our littlest baby. She was born just over a month ago. And she was born, she was our littlest at just over six pounds. And you know what? She's putting on a pound a week. That sincere milk is becoming a part of her and who she is. And guess what? As she keeps growing older, oh, you know, in about six months, she'll start eating other foods. And then when she starts eat, gets to be a year old, she gets to have citrus. And then she gets to have honey. And then she gets to have all kinds of other foods and enjoy it all. And you know what? All those foods make up who she is. The analogy is parallel. So the same is true. What you're eating, what you're feeding yourself day by day, what you are desiring and longing after is making you who you are. So who are you? You want to... You want to see yourself not as one who has malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings? Desire the sincere milk of the word. Reject those false foods. Oh, you know how easy it is to be a glutton in self-pity and in selfishness? Oh, you could go to a buffet and fill up on that. And you're going to be sick a few hours later. Oh, we don't fill up on these counterfeit stuff. Rather, this, this, this is what we taste and we find to be good. We find to be gracious. We find to be effective in our lives. So my dear brothers, my dear sisters, do we love one another with a pure heart fervently? If we're born again, then we ought to. And we have the word of God, which is wonderful and glorious, and it's not like the glory of man that passes away. You notice how the, we talked about this a little bit last message, of how the glory of man ties in with the malice and guile and evil speakings and hypocrisies and envies. No, no, we have God's precious word to shape us into who God wants us to be, a loving people who from a pure heart love one another fervently. So let's take the putrid wickedness that threatens that love and lay it aside. Throw it aside. Have nothing to do with it. And let's refocus in a passion, a desire, a love, for the sincere milk of the word. It comes from here, verse 3, parallel to Psalm 34, verse 8, 
where this is declared. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Which is very fascinating because here it's referring to God himself. And here we've been learning about the word. You see, this book that you hold in your hand is, is not just any book. This book is alive. And this book, apart from the God who lives and breathes through it, uh, he is where our focus needs to be, in the Savior. In fact, Jesus is referred to as the Logos, the tie-in here to the Word. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's tied in here, the parallel of these words. Do we desire him and his letter to us? Great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we have been redeemed and born again. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that where there is malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings, your Holy Spirit would reprove, correct, and instruct, convict us in these ways, humble us when it's there and it needs to be laid aside. And in your strength and in your grace, and in your life, may we do just that. And may we desire, desire you and your word that you have given to us. And may it be real for us each and every day that you might be glorified in our lives as we humbly walk with you. And may we do just that filled with your spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning for those here who have not been born again, who have not been redeemed, who have not had their sins forgiven, that today they would believe on you and receive your salvation, that they may be born again and move forth with an inheritance and a hope that is incorruptible and that passeth not away. Lord Jesus, move among us we give ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.